0: You guys do know you're like Pavlov's dogs, right? Did anybody tell you to stop talking? You guys just know, like, and then you just all get quiet and you sit down. Like, who told you to stop? Who told you to sit down? (laughs) That's great. Hope my microphone works. Last service. Um, First of all, I'm not even good enough to be up here to speak let alone a microphone that goes in and out. If, if it does that again, I, I'll probably just not use it and you'll get my natural vo- voice. Um, I was a coach, so I, I think we'll be just fine if that happens. Um, okay, Wednesday, this Wednesday, once a month, we just call our church to prayer. Prayer for our church is like breathing uh, because prayer even forget about what's said. Prayer is telling God that we're desperate. T- prayer is, in and of itself, is just an act of total dependency on God, and that's what we are as a church. So, Wednesday night, uh, come and join us. Not that we're in the numbers. Where two or three are gathered, God says, there I am with you. Uh, but we've been having 150, 175 people to that, which has been awesome. Okay, we've, we have begun a new study In the Gospel of John. We call it the Gospel of John because the first four books of the New Testament historically have been called Gospels. Uh, They are accounts of from people who had an eyewitness, who are eyewitnesses to Jesus writing about um, his life. And John very much had a front row seat to the life of Jesus, and he writes the fourth gospel. Now, we started this last week, I, I felt like we were stepping literally into an ocean, uh, because in many ways, we were. But I like that, because I think the study of John requires something right at the outset that if we don't have this thing, we'll either quickly go into daydream mode or become Cynics or skeptics Or if we do have this thing It'll cause our hearts literally to explode With gratefulness and joy What am I talking about? Faith Faith makes all the difference But I'm talking also about the root of faith Which is this quality of wonder Wonder is is something that we had as children And G.K. Chesterton says that the end of childhood is when things cease to astonish us. This is why the Bible speaks about having the faith of a child, because children are just filled with this quality of wonder. Uh, Listen to what else G.K. Chesterton says about wonder. He says, children have abounding vitality because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. (laughs) Then they're done that. But perhaps, he says, God is strong enough. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. And it may be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike, or it may may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we. And Abraham Heschel also, along these lines, he's probably the greatest Jewish thinker of our time, and this is more in prayer, prayer form. But he says, he says, Dear Lord, grant me the grace of wonder. Surprise me, amaze me, awe me in every crevice of your universe. Each day enrapture me with your marvelous things without number. I do not ask to see the reason for it all, I only ask to share in the wonder of it all. Do you have that quality of wonder? God, you are the giver of faith and God, would you give us childlike faith? God, would you open the eyes of our heart that we could see you in all your wonder and glory And mystery and majesty in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and read our text for this morning, John chapter 1, the first 11 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. This is not John or author. This is John, a different John. And he came to witness, to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right To become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. This is his word. You can be seated. So, as we learned last week, John is writing this gospel to invite us to come and see. To come and see. To come and see Christ. Later in chapter 1, when Philip tells Nathaniel, he says, I found him, this Jesus of Nazareth to whom, through whom the whole, whole book is about. And uh, Nathanael says, wait a second, can anything good from Na- come from Nazareth? And, and Philip says, well, come and see. The Samaritan woman, after her encounter with Jesus, runs back to her village and says these same words, come and see, come and see this man. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, two times in the first chapter, says, behold, look, there he is, see him. Even Pilate, later in the story, will get in the action. Uh, He will say, behold the man, come and see. And John says in the verse Uh, right after the one that we ended with, he says, we have seen him. We have beheld his glory. And what John wants us to do is not just come and see this Christ who he is laying out before him, but he believes that when we truly see him, that we will believe in him, and that when we believe in him, we will have life in his name. Now, what is Life. Well, today we're going to look further at what, what John means by life, because in verse 4 of our text, he says, in him, in Jesus, is life, and that life is the light of all mankind. Now, What does that mean? <laughs> we're going to come to find out that light and life are major themes in John's gospel, and these words will take on huge meaning as we push into this book. But here, I've already lost you. And, and, and I understand why I've lost you. Well, I, I can give you at least one reason why I lost you. There might be a hundred reasons why I lost you. Um, John is giving us these terms, light and life, in their abstract form. Abstract is the language of the philosopher, the theologian, the mystic, the Gnostic, and it's so much the language, so much of church, it's it's how we talk about God in the seminary. Uh, I was raised with a lot of this, uh, kind of thinking about God, and to be honest, it leaves me just kind of saying, so... When I know in my heart I shouldn't just be saying so. Now what do I mean by abstract? Well let me do a little exercise with everyone and if you've done this with me before you can't play right now uh, because I have done this in other contexts. Um, But if you haven't done this with, with me before in one word describe God. Yell it out. Awesome, love, steadfast, father, everything, faithful, rock, holy, I am. Okay, now, I don't know if I can remember all these things, but close your eyes. And I want you to ask yourself, what do you see when I say, God is holy, God is love, God is faithful, God is everything, I'll throw some more, God is transcendent, God is imminent, God is omniscient, (laughs) open your eyes, did you see anything? Now this is how the western world makes sense of reality through abstract language definitions points subpoints it goes all the way back to the greek philosopher which is why the part of our bible that you and i are most comfortable in are the writings of paul because Paul is writing to a Greek speaking, Greek thinking audience, and he's making sense of God, Christ, reality in abstract terms. Point, subpoint, subpoint, point, sub-point, subpoint, subpoint, definition. You're like, right now, probably, well, what's the alternative to that? Well, so much of the Bible is written by non Westerners. Who don't make sense of reality with abstract language but with concrete language like this close your eyes the Lord is my shepherd the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous run into and are safe the Lord is a spring of living water. He is the wings of an eagle. The Lord is my Father. You see the difference? Now, I could also just give you the word God, I have that on PowerPoint. I could now make this a definition by saying God is love. It's abstract. Is it right? Is it wrong? Of course it's right. We know that. But I could also just say God is this. They both say the same thing. They both say God is love, but one speaks to the mind, the other speaks to the heart. This is why so much of Jesus, his teachings, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he tells a story, he gives us an image, he gives us a metaphor. Even Jesus' miracles are less about him trying to display power, and they're more Forms of storytelling. Now, again, not one is better than the other. I'm just showing you the difference. But light in our text is used seven times. And as you might expect, it's contrasted with darkness. So, what is light? What is light? What is darkness? Are we talking about something physical, or is John using this in a metaphorical way? Well, I'll tell you what John has in mind, because John is a Jew, and he's been raised to know the text, and his text is the first half of our text. Uh, He knows Genesis. He knows Genesis 1. His mind is, is bringing us there when he says, in the beginning. He's bringing us to the first three words in the Bible, and, and there also is the first time where light is used. It's when God creates the world. And last week, if you remember, uh, two things existed when God created the world. God and the tohu vevohu. And the tohu vevohu is that primordial soup. It's the chaos. And then darkness is, is thrown in there as well to, to further define all of that. And, and it says, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the deep there is the abyss. So when you put the tohu vevohu, the chaos, with the watery abyss and the darkness that hovers over it, you have this, this hellish reality, this dark hell. So creation is an act of war. And the first words from God's mouth are, let there be light. And there was light. And out of that hellish reality, our world is born, and it's transformed into something stunningly ordered and beautiful. That hell literally becomes Eden, heaven. And it's light that ignited all of this. what is light? What is this light? Because light always has a source. Light always comes from something. But God hasn't created the sun, the moon, or the stars yet. That comes later. So what is the source of light? It's God. And the first story after creation is quite tragic, and it's not just because Adam and Eve sinned, but it's that their sin was a million times more devastating than any coronavirus. It quickly infected every square inch of God's uh, world that he had made, and the world quickly fell back into chaos. It went dark again, and, and this is why our world is dark right now. No one's going to argue with me on that point. Our world is dark And it is becoming more and more dark in time. Darkness is a major theme of the Bible. Darkness in the Bible is oftentimes used metaphorically. It it is a metaphor for evil and suffering. Because evil and suffering do not emanate from God. Evil and suffering are the result of human sin. And our world has become dark for that reason alone, because of human sin. So if I asked you right now, what's winning right now in our world? Light? Darkness? I think most of us right now would say darkness is winning. Evil and suffering abound almost wherever we look. But listen to what John is telling us in verse 5. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He is saying the the, the darkness loses and the light wins. In fact, we should be getting goosebumps as we read this because as our world descends further and further Into this hellish darkness, John is telling us that the creator of the world has come again to recreate the world, to say to the darkness, let there be light. And we know the first time that God said that to the darkness, that that chaos was transformed into shalom, shalom, and the abyss became Eden. And we, like children right now, should be saying to God, do it again, do it again, do it again, please. Yet as much as I want to believe this, that the light of Christ overcomes the darkness, so much of that truth betrays my experience. Where I'm left asking, is the light really winning? Is it? Well, let's start with this. How is Jesus that light, the light? Later in John's Gospel, the light of the world. Well, last week we looked at the first four verses, and trust me, there's still a lot of meat left on that bone, Um, because when it says that, that Jesus was God, and it doesn't say that Jesus was a God, but God, the agent of creation, and at the same time, it says Jesus is with God. So think about this. I don't know if you thought about this last week. How can Jesus both be God and with God? (laughs) Did you think about that at all or not? Because this now is is where we need to become like children with, with all that wonder because what we are stepping into is what might be the most confusing yet majestic thought a Christian has about God. What we're talking about here is the Trinity, we sang it last week. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. What we believe about God is a God who is one God but three persons. Not one God, one person. Not three gods, three persons, but one God who's three persons. That's a mystery. And see, some people get so uptight about this uh, because they can't explain it Yet why should we feel the need to explain it? We're we're talking about God. And in the moment that we explain God, God really ceases to be God. But there are so many passages in the text that at least allow for our minds to imagine uh, how God could be this. Like in Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says, The Son is the perfect image and radiance of the Father. In other words, if the father, the unseen God, looked into a mirror, that image or that reflection staring back at him would be Christ. And so perfect is that image staring back at him that it's a person, it's own person. So when verse one says that Jesus was God but then at the same time was with God, think about what that word with means. With means relationship. And I don't think there's another book in the Bible that spells out the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit more than the Gospel of John. And here it is in our opening text. I don't remember if you, I don't know if you were here last week, but but we started off a little bit with the front row seat that John had to Jesus because he gives us even this little detail at the Last Supper. He describes himself with his head literally resting on Jesus' chest. And John uses that same imagery, actually, in his first chapter, John chapter 1, verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God. God is unseeable except for the one and only who has made him known, who is at his father's side. And it's the same word for chest, heart. Some of yours has bosom. I don't even know how to say that word. Bosom, bosom. Libby said, don't say that word. You're going to say it all wrong. But what we saw John doing with Jesus, putting his head on Jesus' chest, Jesus has had his head on his father's chest throughout all eternity. And that doesn't just speak of relationship, but that speaks of deep, deep intimacy. I mean, think about in your life when you felt the most loved, the most appreciated, adored, exalted. Because we are talking about a billionth of what has been going on in the community of the Trinity throughout all eternity. I love how C.S. Lewis describes this. He says, perhaps, the most important difference between Christianity and all other re- religions that in Christianity God is not a static thing not even one person but a dynamic pulsating activity a life almost a kind of drama almost if you will a kind of dance a circle of glory of infinite delight of father son and Holy Spirit. Do you think about God this way? It's amazing. You know what this means? Something pretty spectacular. It means that at the heart of the universe is relationship explosive, intimate relationship. That ultimate reality is love. It's a dance of three persons who selflessly seek not their own glory, but the glory of the other, who don't demand and take love, but freely give it, who are throughout eternity pouring oceans upon oceans of love into the other, resulting in joy infinite joy that's God so if you ever ask a question like why did God even make the world why did he create it was he he lonely or was he on some power trip where he needed all, all this glory no he already has it God made the world God made us to share the intimacy and the relationship of the Trinity with us. That's why we were made in his image. This is why we have been made for God and we have been made for love because God is love and love is not just something that God does. Love is intrinsic to who God is, in fact, the reason why the commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves is the greatest is because this is what's been going on in the family of the Trinity throughout all eternity. And so when John says, in him was life, and, and this life is light, this is the life that, that John is talking about. This is the light Well then, what is darkness? Darkness is the lack of love. I mean, what is war? What is violence? It's a lack of love. What is injustice? What is racism? What is crime? What is divorce? What is a broken family? It's a lack of love. Or think about the the, the tragic pain of, of loss uh, what is that grief? It's the loss of love. What is suffering? It's the loss of love. It's the lack of love. It's the absence of love. And this is darkness. And we know this in our hearts, that, that the meaning of life, when you, when you cut through everything, is really to know love. It's to express love. The meaning to life ground floor is relationship. I mean, just think about when, when someone has terminal anything. They're not trying to hang on to their house or their possessions or their job. They're trying to hang on to the people they love. Why? Because the meaning of life is relationship. And why is it relationship? Because God within himself is a relationship. God is love. And we were made like God. But here's our problem. We are not like God. The human race is unbelievably selfish. Unlike God, we live for our glory, not to glorify others. We live for power, and even if we love, it is something that we demand instead of give. And if you wanna know why our world is so dark, why darkness darkens our lives, is because we are so dang selfish. We're becoming narcissistic. We're so far from the dance. We are so far removed from the life of God. I mean, think about what John says in one of the letters that he writes, which is also great commentary on the Gospel of John. In 1 John 1 verse 5, John says, in him, in God, there is no darkness. There's no selfishness in God. There's not even the hint of it. In fact, selfishness is antithetical to God. It's, it's, it's the anti-heart of God. And If you want to know what, what actually living for the glory of someone else produces whether it's in friendship, whether it's marriage or whoever, I'll tell you what it produces. It produces joy. And not just because it is a joyful thing to receive love and to receive praise and adoration, but because it is a joyful thing to offer it. In fact, the surest way to destroy life, to destroy joy, Is to live for yourself selfishness kills joy because when we do this we are actually going against the grain of the center of the universe we are going against the very heart of God we are betraying what God has made us to be we are made to be like him and this is why Father Son and Holy Spirit they are infinitely happy because they don't seek to praise For themselves, they are in this constant state of seeking the glory and the praise of the other. So, to be healed of our darkness, this is the light that needs to come into our lives. This is the light that overcomes the darkness. We need more than an ethic. We need more than a prescription. We need more than a how-to. We need more than what the philosopher can offer. We need more than what the politician can offer. We need to be brought back into God, into the dance for which we are made. And This is why John, his gospel is gonna provide this wonderful imagery. He's gonna use uh, metaphors like a vine with branches because what John is telling us through this metaphor is we don't even just need to know about God. We, we literally need to be brought into God the way a branch is, is, is in a vine. And when we're in God the way a branch is in, in, into the, to the vine, uh, God is now flowing in us, through us, out of us. Or in verses 12 and 13 of our text this morning, it says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. In other words, what John, he's gonna talk about this rebirth and, and being born again um, because Again, we need to be brought back in, into what? Into the family of the Trinity. As children in the dance, resting our heart on the heart of God. And this is why Jesus, according to John, he came to the world to find us and to bring us home. Later, Jesus will say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. It's Jesus saying, I'm the way home. The home for which we were made. And the home is the family of the Trinity, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And John will show us What God had to give up to find us. He not only had to leave home, he had to leave his father's side. And he came across all worlds to get us back. And even to do that, I mean, listen to what it says in verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him and those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Uh, but you have this understanding that he came to that which his own, his own, his own rejected him. And that's why Jesus came to the world. He, he, he came to the world to be rejected. And, and this is just hints of that ultimate rejection that, that Jesus will feel um, on the cross. And why all that part of the story? Because this is all part of the plan. Because to get us back, Jesus had to pay for our selfishness. All of it. And so he came to stand in our place. He died the death that we deserve to die. And, and we know that as he hung on that cross, darkness came down and darkness swallowed him up. In fact, it says that he was cut off. Cut off from what? Well, counselors will tell us, I think, what we already know that the greatest trauma a person can experience is losing someone that they love intimately and deeply. And on the cross, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I cut off? And think about the one throughout all eternity who poured oceans upon oceans of love into him. He is now cut off from that completely. Why? This is the price God had to pay to get us back. And this my life for your life that the cross screams at us is not just something new to God. This is all God knows. It's all God is. It's all God has ever been. The selfless love of God on the cross is what's been going on in the family of the Trinity throughout all eternity. And Hebrews says, for the joy that was placed before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. And what was that joy? That Made Jesus glad to die for us? It's us. He loves us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit love us that much that it was joy. And in the words of Lauren Dagle, what have I done to deserve love like this? answer, nothing, because it's not how good we are. It's how good he is. And you know what heals us of darkness, selfishness? Love, this love. This love is the, the light of life. And see, when, we're not, when, our, when our hearts actually know that we're this loved, our hearts are healed. We're healed from our selfish self, and we're healed to freely love, adore, praise, exalt, forgive other people. Because the people in this world who love selflessly and sacrificially, who love deeply, who accept people, forgive people, who believe the best about people, who live to exalt others, are people who know love. They're people who have been loved deeply and intimately. They're people who have been unconditionally accepted. They're people who have been believed in, who have been forgiven. That's why Jesus says to this woman, the one who's been forgiven much is the one who loves much. And Paul says how deep and wide and far is the love of God. He is imagining this ocean of love that has been poured into us in Christ and through Christ. Do you know that love? Are you in the dance? Is your life just exuding joy? John says, these are written that you may believe and by believing you may have life in his name. We have unlit candles up here. This candle represents the light of God. This candle represents someone right now in this room who is in darkness. Or maybe you know someone who is in darkness. And this morning, you'd like to say to God, do it again. Let your light shine in my heart to give me the light Of the knowledge that is in the face of Christ. God, would you give us eyes to see? Open the eyes of our heart and give us the wonder of a child to see you in all your glory and mystery and majesty, to see the dance. The love of the Father and the, of the Son and that love that they have for us, which is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.